Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, I hope we can open up our minds to truth. Not a spin, not trying to figure out how to compromise in this life, but just understanding the truth, the simple truth that's in God's Word. I'm coming to you from the studios of Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. And I always invite you to check those ministries out and join us here in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. It's really important that you spend time getting away from your norm. A change of place and a change of pace will often challenge your perspective. And I encourage you to continue to challenge your perspective in life. My perspective is exactly that, my perspective. For me to get out of that, I need to get into a new situation somehow. Reading the Bible allows me to do that every morning because I put myself in front of the king who has no perspective. Everything that God says is true and right and honorable and I need to adjust accordingly or I'm wrong. If you've been listening to Nighttime, you know I've been reading through the book of Ecclesiastes and I want to continue to do that tonight. Chapter 4, starting with verse 1. And again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who had already died, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work comes from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity, a striving after wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity, an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to throne. Through his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who moved about under the sun, along with the youth who was to stand out in the king's palace. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. 
One of the things that strikes me in the book of Ecclesiastes is the continual phrase, striving after wind, striving after wind. I keep thinking about that as I read the book through. The author, Solomon, is talking about a life that's wasted. Any of us that chase after wind are chasing something we can't catch, and even if we did catch it, we have nothing. And that's what life can be about for people. We can spend our lives pursuing things that end up really being nothing. We can be very wealthy when we die, and we'll still die, and we'll go and we'll meet Jesus with nothing in our hands. We could be very powerful and influential in this world. And when we die, we go meet Jesus, and we see the one who is actually powerful and influential. We leave our power here. We leave our influence here. Someday, every single person will bow before God. Every person will acknowledge that God is God. For some, it'll be too late. For others, it'll be a moment of great rejoicing, great worship, a time of enjoying the fact that we're children of the King, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Those who live for this world, they're living in a place where they're going to strive after wind. And if they do catch it, they're still going to be empty. There are many who have been labeled as success in the United States of America and around the world who have had many things that the world offers, yet they haven't been happy. Not only that, this talks about a handful of quietness in verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after wind. There are times where just being content with where we're at is a very important quality. We don't have to keep making excuses for who we are. We are who we are. God made me who I am. I can enjoy what he's made. He's given me the opportunities that I do have. He's given me the skill, the, the abilities that I have. And I need to be thankful for those. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil, a striving after wind. The idea of being alone in this life, how dangerous that is. If you're alone, sometimes Satan uses that loneliness against you. You see, when we're with others, we always have help because you and I are always in a position of weakness. We can lie to ourselves. It's nice to have somebody around who can tell us the truth about ourselves. We can be people who have accidents and need help. And if nobody's around, we don't get that kind of help. The New Testament, we're told that those who are believers are put into the body of Christ. We're all different parts of the body. But we all work together, and each part is very important. You don't want to have any of those parts missing. Verse 12 tells us that though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. When we have people with us who are part of the body, who are part of the brotherhood, who are part of the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, we get strength from one another. That's an important part of life. The fifth chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes goes on and says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing evil. 
Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow, that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many. There is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. If you see a province in the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by the higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for the land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of laborer, whether he eat little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he comes from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is grievous evil. Just as he came, so he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the toil in which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift of God. For he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Chapter 5 of the book of Ecclesiastes Starts off warning us, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God? Why? You need to draw near to listen. That's better than to offer sacrifices of fools. You go into the house of God, go there to be in the presence of God, not to make a scene for yourself. For people don't even know what they're doing, and they're doing evil because they're, they're having people look at themselves in the house of God. Going to church and being in the house of God is not about being in a place for ourselves. It's about being in a place to point to God, to worship Him, to be challenged by Him. It says that while we're there, we shouldn't be rash with our mouth or let our heart be hasty to utter a word before God. It's so easy in emotional times to say things that we don't really mean. 
we should be in the habit of not saying anything we don't mean. We should say things that we actually are going to follow through on, especially when we make promises to God. For he knows our hearts. He knows the words that we've used. We need to practice using words that we actually have meaning behind. Verse 10 in this chapter talks about those who love money. How they won't be satisfied with their money. Money will never satisfy you. Well, I'm not saying you won't be satisfied temporarily with some things that money can buy. Perhaps you need to buy food and that food will satisfy you and the money has helped you get there. But the verse says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. It's the idea of defining what the love of money is. We know that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But then this verse helps us define what the love of money is. Let me read it again to you. Verse 10, chapter 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. There are people that are never satisfied with the income they have. God didn't put us on this earth so that we could make as much money as possible and die. He put us on this earth to love us, so that we could demonstrate his love to others. That's why we're here. Poor people can do that. Rich people can do that. You need to be able to follow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's guiding in your life as to where you should go in life. There are some who will spend their life on the mission field. They'll give themselves to a whole other culture, make very little money, be battling all their lives to be understood, yet this is the lot that God gave them. This is why God created them, to do that very task. Money has nothing to do with being fulfilled. There are people today who work for money, and no matter how much they work for, they never really have enough money. Those are the ones who love money. See, we need to be people who are content with what we have, not constantly looking for more that we can have for ourselves. No, we need to be satisfied with whatever money we make. It says those who love wealth, they love their income. Those who love wealth are the ones that aren't satisfied, ever. Are you satisfied today with how God's provided for you? Have you thanked God genuinely for the provision that he has? So quickly things can change, both income-wise, health-wise, whatever it might be. To be genuinely thankful for the position we're in today. Perhaps you're in a very tough position. Well, then you're in a position where you can easily show the world who God is because those are the moments where we can show who God is the easiest. In the 19th verse of the 5th chapter, it says, Everyone whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. Everyone whom God's given wealth and possessions doesn't mention how much wealth, how many possessions. But those who can actually enjoy what God gave them, that's the gift. There are those who can never enjoy what God's given them because they're always looking at what God hasn't given them. What has he given you? What talents, what abilities, what friends, what family? What food has he given you? It is very easy to look and to see what we're missing out on. 
But how about taking time to look and see what we do have? I think in the United States of America, especially, there are so many television programs that are sponsored by places and people who want you to think that you're missing out on something. In fact, sometimes I think our whole economy is driven by trying to figure out what you're missing out on so that you can go get it. After all, if these people have it and they're happy, maybe I should have it too. Before you know it, you're not very thankful for the position that God's put you in in the first place. In fact, you're rather unhappy about the position God's put you in, and you'd rather be in somebody else's position. You might even get to the point where you feel like God's cheated you out of something. Now you're very miserable. That's what happened with Eve in the beginning of the universe, the beginning of the world. She felt as if God was holding back something from her. Of course, that dialogue came from Satan himself. God loves you. And as you come to him and get to know who he is and walk with him and draw close to him, he doesn't keep things from you that you should have. Oh, I'm not saying that you'll be able to be self-indulgent and, and always live for things that make you totally comfortable and totally satiated when it comes to food. But you have to understand that God loves you and will provide for you. And that everything that you do have and that I have is a gift from Almighty God. It's important for us to be thankful with the things that we do have. It may not be much or it may be a tremendous amount. But it really doesn't look any different if you're God looking to humans. For example, if I'm somebody that has a lot of resources and a lot of wealth, do I make those resources and that wealth all about me? All about my comfort, all about my plans, all about what benefits Dave the best? If I do that, that's evil. But if I understand that God is the one who owns all those resources, he's the one that controls all those, then all of a sudden, I am just thankful that I have any of them at all. See, I'm thankful because God has entrusted me with something. And he's entrusted me with much. And to whom much is given, much will be required. So I need to be very careful to use what God has given me in a way that would honor him because that's why he gave it to me in the first place. When you go on to chapter 6 in the book of Ecclesiastes, it says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth 
yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named and is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days in his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will come after him under the sun? Solomon keeps talking about those who have their focus on this world and how empty it is. God gave Solomon a tremendous amount of resource, a tremendous amount of privilege, a tremendous amount of money. And he was telling us, I've been there. I am there. It's worthless. You cannot find satisfaction. All this money, all this power, all this fame, all this fortune is chasing after wind. If we're going to pay attention to him, we begin to realize that the only thing in life that we really should do and can do that's going to be successful is to enjoy God and to walk with him and be a part of what God is doing in life and for eternity. See, the worldly measure that people measure with is going to be something that's going to be faulty one day. It doesn't matter how much money I have. It matters how much I love. And no matter how much money I have, I can love. It doesn't matter the circumstances of life. It's whether I demonstrate faith or not. And no matter what my circumstances are, I can demonstrate faith. I can't take any physical thing with me for eternity, but I can take people with me if I can explain to them who God is. Chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes goes on and says, A good name is better than a precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go into the house of mourning than to go into the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. It is better for a man to hear rebuke of wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is also vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in the spirit is better than the proud in the spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were former days better than these? For it was not wisdom that you asked this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other, so man may not find out anything that will be after him. 
in my vain life I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise, more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on the earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which had been far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know wickedness and folly and foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, said the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made man upright, but we have sought out many schemes. It's interesting, verse 21 of that chapter says, Do not take to heart all the things people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. There are many times where people have said things about me, perhaps about you. And you can get hurt by what they say. But the wise person doesn't take to heart everything that people say. Because it goes on to say, your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. There are times where you have said things about other people that you wish you didn't. But you can't take those words back. There are times where you've said things that you know were wrong to say. When somebody says something against you, Understand that you have done the same. Forgive them. Don't take it to heart. Don't make it something that you focus on. You should focus on what God says about you, not what somebody else says about you. Remember, God made us upright, but for some reason we keep looking for schemes to destroy the uprightness that God has made. This world in which we live is not a world that can satisfy apart from God. If we try and do that, we'll be chasing after the wind. In the first part of chapter 7, it talked about how better it is to go into a house of mourning than a house of feasting. You see, those who celebrate continually or want to celebrate continually are missing out on some of the serious moments of life. There are times where those who actually understand what's going on in the world mourn. They have to be sad because of the demonstration of sin that they see. But we can celebrate in the fact that God loves us. We can celebrate the fact that God extends his mercy to us through Jesus Christ. But those who are wise, 
are those who understand what's really going on and they see the very destructiveness of sin and the captivatedness of sin in people's lives. That's why it says sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the face the heart is made glad. As I understand the sin of the world and my own personal sinful convictions, my own sinful attitudes and actions, the mercy of God and the grace of God become precious to me. And by understanding my sin and being somebody who is sad to have disappointed Almighty God, I can understand how to be glad as well in the mercy and the grace that God extends to me. There is no possible way for us to be joyful if we don't see the world the way God does. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book of just practical understanding. You and I can chase all of the dreams of this world apart from God and it will be as if we chased wind all of our life. That we wasted our life. And at the end, we open our hands and we look into our hands and find nothing but the wind. I hope that's not the case. I hope you enjoy God today, enjoy His Word, and understand that the things of this world will grow strangely dim one day. So perhaps today you should make them overly bright. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Thank you for your support and thank you for listening. See you next time.